I want to talk to you today about preparing for the Lord, preparing for the end. There was a TV series on called Doomsday Preppers. Uh, this would be Groomsday Preppers. I'm looking for a groom for the Groomsday, not the not a Doomsday. It won't be Doom for us that are looking for and longing for His appearing. And we're told certain things to do. Uh, we know that in Revelation 19:7 it says, "The bride hath made herself ready." And sometimes we think, "Well, how do we go about doing that?" And we know it's to enrich and deepen our love for Him and be watching and waiting for Him. Well, that's good, and He wants that. But yet he's told us some specific things that he expects us to do to prepare for him. So I want you to open your Bibles or your, your electronic Bibles, whatever you have today that has the Word of God, to 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And let's talk about preparing for the end, which will be the beginning. Amen? I can't wait. Praise God. Father, today... Um, we know that your word is blessed, but bless it to our hearing today and let, give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding as we look into your word. Father, that we would apply it to ourselves, that we would honestly examine our life. And you told us to be sober-minded. That means to take an honest, sober look at our lives and how we are uh, applying your word to our lives. Father, help us to do that today. Help us to examine ourselves and see if we are where we need to be with you. So, fathers, we receive the word today. We receive it. Let this be good soil. Let our hearts be open and ready and prepared for, for your word to receive it. Now, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Peter starts out in verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, and he says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Therefore, and anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to look and see what it's there for. He says, therefore, because the end is near, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and, and, power, and the power forever and ever. And then Verse 12 and 13, let's look at that while we're here. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that, you're, that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his glory or when his glory is revealed. You know, the Bible here sounds, he sounds out a note here, Peter does through his writings, of a warning and a motivation, and he says, the end of all things is near. So it's motivation, it's also a warning. The end is near. We've heard that for a long time, right? But does that scare you or does it motivate you? Does it cause you to be worried or does it cause you to be excited? Um, if, we're, if we have prepared ourselves right and we're looking for him and we're excited about what takes place next, 
it ought to motivate us. We ought to get excited about it. You know, as we, we read here, you know, because the end is near, there's some specific ways that we should uh, be living out the will of God is what he's telling us this passage as we look at it. And so Peter gives us some very practical instructions. You know, um, one person has referred to the, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, as basic instruction before leaving earth. So really that would apply here because he's saying the end is near. We're getting ready to leave this place. So we need some of this basic instruction that Peter's giving. And so within these, these verses, we're going to find four things specifically and then um, a, a value that we should be looking for. And, and let me just line them out for you. You can write, jot them down, then we'll look at them. The very first thing, that the way that I see this and the way I jotted it down to remember is that we need to be, to, to prepare for this end time, we need to be praying before swaying. We need to be loving without judging. We need to be sustaining without complaining. We need to be uh, be hospitable, that is, without complaining or, or sustaining without complaining. And then serving without deserving. And then the last thing is this exhortation. It's a life goal to pursue that, that Peter tells us. And that really is to be exalting without being exhausted. And so let's take a look at that in, in a little bit more detail. In other words, Peter turns his attention to a practical ministry within the body of Christ. So a lot of times we think to prepare ourselves for Christ's return, we've got to prepare ourselves in a sense of our love to him and our relationship with him, which is true. But we always think that it's always about us and him, us and him. And it's a lot of that. But when that happens, what he's trying to get us to see that when we love him, we love his body. Because he says that the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So he, he is one together with the church. So when we love the members of the body of Christ, they are the body of Christ. We're loving him, right? Same way, husbands, when you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself because you're one together. So when we love another brother or sister in the Lord, we're loving Christ. Are you following me? So what he's trying to tell us is don't be so heavenly minded that we're, no earth, that, that we're not of any earthly good. Sometimes we think for, that if we're preparing for the end, we're just, so, we're just getting in more spiritual. We're getting more spiritual. Well, we need to be more spiritual, but sometimes I don't know if we really know what being spiritual is. If you're so spiritual that you can't still touch a guy sitting in his pickup truck with a 16-ounce Bud, Budweiser and lead him to the Lord, then that's not spirituality. Amen. If you're too, in other words, too, too heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good, then what good is that? And what I find here is this warning that says, if, that's, if you think you're preparing for, it'd be like Jesus saying, if you think you're preparing for me to come back, no, I'm not coming back for you because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And he starts out, he says, the end of all things is near. Okay, he's got our attention. Then he says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So number one on the list is prayer, that we need to be able to pray. When believers pray, things happen, or they should happen. If we are clear-minded, you know, probably 90% of Christians' prayers go unanswered because it's so self-centered. You know, James says you have not because you ask not, and then when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motive in mind. That's exactly what he says. And we're so clouded by what's going on 
that we don't pray according to how God would have us to pray. Maybe, you know, we, we are so shaken by things around us that we are weak in our faith, and so we pray a weak faith prayer. And God says, huh, don't come to me with that. You know, come believing. So he says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, which would tell me if you're not clear-minded and self-controlled, you can't pray. You can't pray right. So, you know, one, one benefit of, of suffering is that it keeps us focused on eternity. And when I've gone through things, I think, man, Lord, I can't wait till you come. Get me out of this. But isn't it true? One of the things that, that really the benefits, I guess, of suffering is that it keeps us, our, keeps us focused on eternity and getting out of here. And it's when we're going through tough times, you know, difficult days and seasons of, of suffering and pressures and persecutions. When we're going through those things, it's when we look up and say, okay, Lord, any time would be great for me. So the Lord doesn't bring problems. In fact, James says God is not tempted of evil, neither does he tempt any man with evil. So God doesn't bring the trial to see how much he can put on you, but he allows the trial. Satan brings the trial to bring out the worst. God allows the trial to bring out the best. And so when we are tried with fire, that ought to just purify us as fine gold and come out shining brighter. But those things, what it does is it helps us become more eternal-minded rather than earthly-minded because we kind of realize what good is this anyway? You know, these things, uh, these things are going to pass away. But what I have laid up in heaven, the relationship I have with him and are with his people, that's what's going to last forever. The only thing we can take with us are, is our memories. The Bible does say that we'll be known as we are known. And so that's what we're going to be able to take with us when we get to glory, get to heaven, is the memories that we have here. And so what are you doing for those around us? What are you doing for the body of Christ? And, and so that's what Peter's trying to get us to focus in on. The end of all things is near. The Greek word there, it means draw, draws near. It's coming to, a, to an end. It's approaching um, as, as, as what, he's, what it says or what it means. And so the way James uses it, he says... Um, you too be patient and start, stand firm. Well, in, in, in James chapter 5, 8, it's used, the same word is used again, and James uses it this way. He says, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So it's, it's coming. His, his coming is near. And if it was near back then, it's nearer today. If it was near yesterday, it's closer today. And so we need to be prepared for it. You know, Scripture urges us to be prepared for the end of life as we know it, of our physical life, and whether it's caused by physical death or if it's caused by a rapture, if he comes. And I like what Clem Foster used to always say, I'm not looking for a hole in the ground, I'm looking for a hole in the sky. And so I'm watching and waiting for him to come, but if something happens and we go, it's a physical death, then that we ought to still be preparing for that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just mentioned Pastor Clem Foster, his dad was Sandy's great-grandfather, that uh, really had a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas at the turn of the century with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there's some history there as far as the, 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 the outpouring of the Holy, Holy Spirit for really for modern time. But he was a, a barber, or I guess his, his 
brother, some of his relation, he was a brother, uh, was a barber. That's back when they used the straight razors. And he said that, uh, you know, they, the Lord had been really been stirring them to witness and to witness. So Tim would be like, you know, be, be you getting all excited to witness somebody, but you're a barber. So he had this guy lean back in the chair and he pulled that razor up close to his neck and said, are you prepared to die? <laughs> That's not always wisdom, you know. You know, you might get a yes and it might, you know, it might just be one of those foxhole convictions, you know. But um, we need to prepare for the end time and not just because, you know, we want to say so because we want to please somebody else, but we need to have a sincere desire to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And the scripture urges us to be prepared for the end of this life. Again, whether it's by rapture or whether it's by, by physical death, whatever it is. But we should live our life in light of the fact that our end is near because that's what he's telling us here. Um, you know, so much of what Christians do really in life is kind of like trying to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's worthless, you know? We spend all of our time just, you know, seem like spinning our wheels and doing this and doing that. Well, what's that going to, what is that going to amount to for eternity? And, you know, the question of eternity is when, when Christ returns, will he find us asleep or on the job just, you know, working for him? How's he going to find you? When he comes, what will he find you doing? Jesus told many parables that, along that line, you know. Uh, you know, will you be asleep? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes that chapter, and he talks about those who sleep, sleep into the night, which is the tribulation time. So we need to be alert and awake and watching and waiting for his, his appearing. And, you know, in fact, there's a writer, Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, meaning remaining obedient as we're going this long direction. He writes in that book, he said, it's not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is uh, terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. And I think that's right. You know, sometimes people, they want to accept the Lord, like the guy said yesterday, yeah, yeah, I, I, wanna, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. You know, but so it's, you can maybe stimulate some interest in the eternal things and spiritual things for salvation, but it's hard to maintain that interest in eternal things. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, basically a paraphrase, he says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you that you should so soon be shaken or that you've stopped, you stopped running? You know, we could just kind of look around here today and say, oh, you were running a good race. I'll look down so I don't look at anybody. You were running a good race. You know, who cut in on you? Who, what, what happened that you just gave up or you stopped running? Hmm. Polls show us that millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's, uh, it says, quoting, it says, there's a dreadful attrition rate. We were in a seminar yesterday for Royal Rangers and for training, and a guy was giving some statistics through the Assemblies of God Church, and he said that, you know, there's, there's, so many churches that have any more the way that things are happening, 15 or 20 people in them. And um, trying to remember what he said, that the, the average church attendance is around 45, something like that, 35 or 45, how it's gone down. We've seen an attrition rate in the body of Christ. And there was a little surge around 9-11, and, you know, when that happened, and it seemed like people really got concerned and came, but that just kind of like it just kind of drifted away. It's hard to maintain that interest in eternal things. 
There's a website that's it's called thedeathclock.com. Deathclock.com. I'm not kidding you. You ought to look this up. It's weird. They claim to, to predict when you will die. I did it. I, I had to do it just to make sure it was legit. I forgot what the date was. But uh, no, seriously, I read about it. I thought, this can't be real. And look, there it was. So I thought, and it asked you a series of questions, you know. It asked you your body fat index and how old you are, male or female, when you were born, all these different things and certain things, you know. And uh, it figures all this up, and then it predicts how long you're going to live. What a deal. It's based on current life expectancy rates. Well, I want to tell you something. <clears throat> I'm glad that I don't have to be locked into a website someplace. That, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. There's an appointed time. Now, there's a, you can accelerate that time. It says, you know, in fact, Paul says in Corinthians that many people are sick and sleep because they don't discern the body of Christ. Well, hey, by looking here, as Peter's saying, that the end is near, so we need to be clear-minded and uh, self-controlled so we can pray, and then he's going to go on and talk about some things that we need to do for the body of Christ, for those that are around us. If we're more of a hindrance than we are a help, then, you know, that might accelerate time and that we're out of here. And he says, and many of you are sick and many of you sleep. And so for a Christian, that sleep is, that he's talking about there is a physical death. So we know that there is this appointed time to die, but after, and after this, the judgment. But I'm glad that God's the one that appoints that, and he's the one that has that. And nobody knows the time when Christ is going to come, so that end is, is set also, but, but nobody knows. In fact, Jesus said, not even the Son of Man. He says in Luke chapter 12 and verse uh, 40 through 43, he says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And he goes on to say, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, working, being a servant, serving the Lord by serving his people, his flock. Um, you know, again, God in his wisdom didn't tell us what these appointed times are because we need to be living every second of our life as if the next second was going to bring eternity. Are you living like that today? If you're not living like that today, I challenge you to hear the word of the Lord. He says the end is near. Um, you know, the, the Bible urges us to live for Christ and to be prepared for either event that, that takes place. In, uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse uh, 35, Jesus said, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. In other words, you know, that, that was a symbol that we're watching and, and ready to go. And he also told about that the, the marriage where there was... Uh, five wise virgins and, and or ten, the wise and the foolish virgins and those at the wedding supper and some had oil for their lamps and others didn't have any oil for their lamps. And when, when the bridegroom came, those that had oil for their lamps, they left, you know. They were ready to go. The others didn't. Well, we need to be, we need to be ready. We need to be filled up and ready to go and need to keep this lamp burning, as he says, be dressed, ready for service, for service. He didn't say for the rapture, he said, be dressed ready for service, to serve. He says, and keep your lamps burning. When he said, occupy till I come, he says, be about my business. You know, be doing what I've called you to do, the talents and the abilities that I've given you to do. Be doing that, 
and then and be uh, and keep your lamps burning that you're that you gotta that you're watching here also for me to call at any time. Some people think you know well I'm throwing off everything I'm just gonna set myself aside and just wait for the Lord and maybe go live on an island someplace and just be alone with Jesus. What kind of influence will you be to? What kind of light will that be? You know, he doesn't want us. That's not what he wants. He wants in our heart, to, we want, he wants us to set ourselves apart for him while we are serving him in the harvest field. Jesus walked among people. You know, he was touched by people. And that's why the Pharisees got so mad at him. You know, they, oh, they didn't think he was spiritual because he walked around everyday people. He wants us to walk around everyday people. <laughs> He wants us to be in contact with people and their needs and their brokenness so that we can be there with a hand to help them to see a need and meet it, to find a hurt and heal it. That's what he's placed us here. So he says, be dressed there in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. In Revelation, there's a church by the name of the Laodicean church. And when Jesus comes, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.21, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, If you'd open, I'll come in to and have fellowship. Remember, that's what he's just saying right here. He says, when he comes, he's going to knock on the door so that he can come in. You know, we need to be ready, be watching for him so that we can allow him to come in. That group of believers, because uh, they're the, the Laodicean church, it says, you know, they were, they had everything they needed, they didn't really need Jesus, and it says that they were lukewarm, just lukewarm. They weren't hot or cold, they weren't good for anything, they weren't good, you know, they're just lukewarm, and he said, because of that, you make me sick. He said, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's not who we want to be. So, do you want to be ready? Do you want to be ready? <laughs> If, if we will adopt these guidelines that, that Peter's talking about here, we're going to be ready for Christ. The first command that, that will prepare us for the end of life and the judgment that, of, of Christ is praying before sway. That's how I see it. So I will lock it into my mind. Praying before swaying. If you're swayed by something, it means you're influenced or controlled by something. And... We need to be careful what we are influenced by, what we're control, what we allow to control us. He says there in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Our spiritual vitality depends upon our prayer lives. And if we are swayed by these things of the world or, or whatever, uh, then our prayer life is going to be affected. And we can't, we can't allow that to happen. We won't be prepared for this end time. We won't be prepared for his coming if we're allowing things to control us and influence us, influence our prayer life. Peter says, you know, that Christians should be clear-minded. What does that mean, clear-minded? The Greek there literally means clear as to their true priorities. What is your true priority? Sometimes we don't want to really look at it. We... We, well, we'll say, well, Christ and his coming, his kingdom. Oh, yeah. We'll take an honest look. And I think the King James translation says sober-minded. You know, hey, take an honest look at it. What, is what, what are your real priorities? It doesn't take long to see 
what that is in, in, in your life. You know, where are you spending your time and your talent, your abilities? Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have any life, you know? Sure, you go to Little League Baseball, and, you, and as you're there and you're rooting on the kids, all these other families that are there, that's your opportunity. That's your harvest field. That's your harvest field. They get to see you as a Christian and how you respond or react. You get all mad and say, you can go out there and shake the umpire, you know, and give him a piece of your mind. And don't do that because most of you can't afford to give any of that away. <laughs> but, you know, how do you act? So, in other words, it doesn't mean that you just have to stop doing everything and put on a little brown robe and a rope and walk around and, you know, no, that's not what it all is. That's what he's saying at all. Be clear-minded. What is our priority? When we are going about our life, that our priority is to watch for the opportunities to win the lost, to help somebody along the way, to minister to them, to let them know that there's hope. There's light that dispels darkness. That you can, it, you can live this, this life and in the midst of difficulties and challenges, you can have victory in this thing when you know Christ. He's, to be clear-minded is to be godly thinking. You know, I, I think I've mentioned before, um, I was at a movie one time, I was watching this movie, and I was like, I, and I, start, I find myself, I'm praying for the person in the movie. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous. And I'm thinking, well, because it's, I guess it just starts to be such a habit that you, you see a need and you're just going to pray for it, you know. And I thought, well, well, that's useless, you know. But yet, in one way, we ought to be, that ought to be our priority. That ought to be what happens just naturally. When I was younger, I took some uh, martial arts and they, they want to drill you to where it's just a natural thing that happens. It's not that you have to think about, okay, I have to go. If he comes at me like this, I need to, no. You're dead. <laughs> you don't have time to think about all that and remember and practice it. And, no, it has to be a natural reflex. It just has to be naturally, come naturally. These things that he's talking about here need to come natural to us. Prayer ought to be, in fact, in Thessalonians, or, yeah, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, pray without ceasing. How can you do that? When prayer is an attitude, not just an activity. It's on, that's, that's who we are. And so we ought to be clear-minded. We ought to know what the, our priorities are and what, what God's will is so that we're praying. And, and as we see needs and people around us and circumstances and situations, that we're there to pray. Praise God. Do you think this world would be different if Christians really would become Christians and really pray and see things happen and change? Sure it would. Praise God. So, you know, he says to be clear-minded. And, and then he also says, along with being clear-minded, we're to be uh, self-controlled. And, and really what this means is that we have to uh, not let our ways of the world intoxicate, or let the ways of the world intoxicate our thinking. You know, are we influenced? Uh, are we, you know, controlled by the things of the world? Is our thinking governed by that? Oh, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't think... I could do that because of such and such and this and that because we're, now we've allowed some influence. We're being influenced. Our thinking is being governed or influenced by the things of the world. We have to be careful about that. We need to get, have a clear mind. We need to be self-controlled that when we're in this world, we're not of this world. That we know in whom we believe. And as Paul said, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep me against that day, what, what, that day of trial that would come.
One person said prayer accesses all the resources of God, but we can't pray properly or effectively if our minds are swayed due to worldly pursuits or ignorance of divine truth or indifference to divine purposes. We've got to know divine purposes. We've got to know the divine truth. We've got to know these things so that we can live our lives according to these things and we can pray according to these, these things. Now, the great thing about this, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But he does. He knows the will of God. He intercedes for us with groanings that can't be uttered. He knows the will of God. He prays the will of God through us. And so that's why it's so important that we learn how to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, that word filled means to be piloted, governed, completely controlled. So we don't need to be controlled by the things of this world or the fears of this world. We need to be controlled by the Spirit. We need to be clear-minded, self-controlled in a sense, so that we allow the Holy Spirit then to direct us on how we should pray and what we should do. We're to become clear-minded, self-controlled, again, so that we can pray. That's, I mean, we need to be able to pray effectively, appropriately. We need to be able to pray wisely. God needs us for that. That's how we prepare for the end. Amen. Amen. He needs that. The second command that I see here that, that will prepare us uh, from the end, uh, uh, for, for this end that's coming, not only do we need to be praying before swaying, we need to be loving without judging. Right. Amen. Amen. He says there in verse 8 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. Have this unfailing, unconditional love for the church. An unfailing love, not a sort of love. Yes. You know, and that's why Jesus pulled Peter aside and said, Peter, do you love me more than, me, the, than these? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Oh, that kind of love. No, I'm, I'm not talking about just friendship. I'm talking about unconditional agape love. You agape me unconditionally. And Peter, finally, after three times, he said, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> so, but he's talking about that we need to have this kind of love for our fellow brothers and sisters. You know, in view of this imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he says the end of all things is near, in view of this, uh, Peter goes in and he tells us that Christians are, were given this priority uh, of life. The priority of life here in verse 8 is, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. I jotted this down, my note. A Christian's unselfish love and concern for others should be exercised to the point of sacrificially living for the welfare of others. That's hard. What gets in the way? Us. <laughs> we get in the way of that, right? To sacrificially live for the well-being of others? That's real love, isn't it? And that's the kind of love he's telling us to have here. 
Now, wait a minute, I can have that love for my wife. I can have that love for, you know, and you can maybe count on one hand and have a lot of fingers left over of who you love or who you could love that way. But he's not saying that. He's saying to have that for, for all the brothers and sisters, for the body of Christ. And he's saying, this is how you prepare for my coming is to love. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Well, we might as well just stop there. Shut it down because let's go home. Go, yeah, we're not going to make that one. Love each other deeply. How can I do that? It's back to that prayer. Change me, Lord. Tell you what, when that happens, you'll see something happen. You'll see some, a difference. A difference in us, a difference in the other person, but you begin to see a difference in households, in marriages, in churches, in communities. You see a difference. And wow. It sounds so easy when we read over it. You know, when I first read that passage of Scripture, didn't it just go through so smoothly? But when you kind of pause and look at it, when he says, above all, love each other deeply, hmm, agape each other, unconditional love, love each person unconditionally, unfailing love for each person. Let me, John, let me just share with you some of the things that this means. When you look at this word deeply and, and put it out, as it's used here in this, the context of this, this verse, it's, the Greek word gives the emphasis of stretched or strained. It was used to describe the taunt muscles of an athlete who strains to win a race deeply. He says it's a, a good translation would be full, full strength or maximum effort. Put forth your maximum effort to love everybody. Above all, love one another, love each other deeply. Um, about this is it's holding nothing back. Love without holding anything back. A lot of times we don't want to do that because we feel so vulnerable, right? So that's, it gives that impression, holding nothing back. Give it everything you got. When joined together with love, that, that word deeply there, when it's joined together here in this sentence with love, the two words make the statement, Above all, strain earnestly to love unconditionally and unfailing each other. That's pretty intense. Intense love. Let your love be without reservation. Let your love be without hesitation. Let your love be without qualification. Such love is the most needed quality in the church where God's love permeates the uh, lives of his people uh, Genuine forgiveness when his love when this kind of love is really working in us and this it um, uh, There's genuine forgiveness That that really begins to flow through the body of Christ Genuine forgiveness, you know, have you ever? Somebody comes up and tells you well, I'm sorry man. They you know, did that. Okay. All right And that's kind of it kind of stays there, you know, it's kind of like But it's it hasn't been dealt with it's just still there forgiveness wipes it away erases it it's done away with so this kind of love erases those things um, it's deep fervent unconditional love and so he's teaching us here uh, that this is an incentive that that promotes forgiveness cleansing and God's healing that's why God wants us to do this and this is showing how that we're preparing ourselves for his coming preparing ourselves for the end this is the kind of people that he's coming back this is a bride that he's coming back for that has this unconditional type of love. 
it covered, and then here's what it does. That, that kind of love covers over, and the, the Greek word there is kaluptu. So I'm glad we don't have to speak Greek all the time. Maybe those that are listening on the podcast in Greek, they'll know what we're saying now. But this kind of, it says it covers over, it hides, it overlooks a multitude of sin. When was the last time you overlooked somebody's sin? Oh, well, I can't believe you, you know, you just let them get by with that. Hey, it's hidden in the blood. The love of God. I, I can overlook that to see the need in that person's heart. It's a strenuous, uh, strenuous, strenuously maintained love that continues to, to love. And uh, it's not blind, but it seems to accept the faults of others. That's what this kind of love does. It sees it, but it accepts that, and it covers it over. Like it, it looks beyond it. Aren't you glad God looked beyond your faults and he saw your need? See, God looks beyond those things in you, and he sees you, and he loves you. In spite of who I am, he still loves me. And he's saying, this is the kind of love that you're to have for each other. You think our lives would be different if we had this kind of love for each other? You think our church would be different if we had this kind of love for each other? You think outreach would be different if we had this kind of love for each other? And not only that, but just every aspect of our life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says... Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Just three verses. I'll just read three verses out of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Four, five, or I'll read four verses. Four, five, six, and seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Oh, man, I can't believe they got that. We're all... What? what are they up to? We got all jealous because you know, we're envying that they're being able to do something like that. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It's not easily angered. It's hard not to stop and preach on some of this. It keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> Let me look back on my notes on my smartphone and see what all I've written down here about. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. <laughs> I knew they'd get it. Serves them right. That's what they get. <laughs> Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects it always protects. When somebody comes and they're talking about somebody else, love protects that person that they're talking about. Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Wow. God's saying, I want you to love each other deeply deeply straining with everything you got love each i know you're about to explode here because you're seeing this sin or this shortcoming i know it's tearing you apart but you do everything you can to love that person and you look past that and you love them i don't like that i don't like it either 
because we'd rather just slap them, <laughs> wouldn't we? I mean, that'd make us feel better, right? But God says, no, I'm, I want to see how, how spiritual you are. You talk spiritual, you, act, you walk spiritual, you do the, you know, and whatever. Grandpa Foster used to say, it don't matter how high you jump, it's how you walk when you come down. And you can get all excited during praise and worship, but you come down, you can't love someone deeply. Don't tell me how spiritual you are. Amen. We need to pray, Lord, help us to love and accept others. Accept them unconditionally. Really? I mean, don't you see what they're doing? No, he says, because he looks beyond that. Love covers a multitude of sins. That love covers that because they're seeing what's important. How many people would we really pray for earnestly if we allowed love, that type of love in our life? Because then we wouldn't allow that to hinder those things that they're doing or they have done or whatever to hinder us from praying what they really need instead of saying. Like that song that says that he's, I'm praying for you. I pray a flower pot falls from a two-story building. I pray your brakes go out when you're driving down the road. You know, wait a minute, that's not the kind of prayer he's talking about here. Yeah, thanks for praying, but, you know, you can keep that one. <laughs> wow. You know, we, and then he says, you know, he goes on to say, we need to, to build one another up. We need to encourage people. Wow. What a difference that makes. You know, and so what he's saying is he's holding us responsible for sharing his love with a lost world, but more importantly, with the body of Christ. It's called the Great Commission to the world. You know? You know, to be effective, we, we need to fulfill this great commandment. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself so this love has to begin at here and it has to work out so first thing he says praying before swaying loving without judging and then the third thing I see here is sustaining without complaining sustaining without complaining that means helping other people be hospitable without complaining about having to be hospitable oh man I had to go out and, and, and pick them up their car broke down. <laughs> Had to take them to get something to eat. Yeah. Well, they came by and stayed the night. <laughs> my granddad used to get up and say, well, and my grandmother's name was Hattie. I don't know if I know anybody else named Hattie. They'd say, Hattie, we need to go to bed so these people can go home. <laughs> She always knew what he was thinking, <laughs> you know. Um, hospitality. How are we doing on that one? You know. So God's. And this is how we're prepared. We're supposed to prepare for the end. Praying without before straying. We're supposed to be loving without judging, and we're to be helping other people be hospitable, sustain that person in whatever it is without complaining about it. Sometimes we like to, we'll help them out, and then we want to complain about it so that we can get all this, you know, oh, wow, man, I can't believe you did that for them then, as bad as they are. You should have just kicked them out, you know. By the time we get 
finished complaining about what we had to do. Verse 9 there, 1 Peter 4, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. It's another way of saying it. So it requires us to go beyond just being nice and accommodating other people. It really is saying, hey, you help somebody out. In this particular day when this was written, there were a lot of Christians who were being displaced. And so they were really having to flee for their lives. And so they come along their way. Well, if they stopped at your house, you needed to put them up, feed them, you know, give them a place to stay until they could get on down the road someplace else. And it kind of got to be, well, the people were like, well, can't you go someplace else? I'm getting tired of everybody coming by here. I have to take care of everybody, you know? And maybe you're having to take care of somebody. <laughs> maybe you're getting tired of taking care of somebody or you're getting tired of being nice. You're getting tired of being hospitable. And everybody around you is telling you you shouldn't be that nice. Maybe they're telling you that because you've been griping about how bad you got it because you haven't helped help some of these people. I don't know. I'm just saying. But, you know, we're supposed to be hospitable. You know, it, it's talking about providing the guest a place to stay, food to eat, a listening ear for a conversation, a heart to express love and acceptance. And during their times of persecution or, uh, you know, we're supposed to help take care of them. You know, man, it, that's a tough one. Um, you know, why would we complain about having to help somebody? Maybe because what it costs us? Maybe because it's an inconvenience? Maybe because it takes effort? Maybe because nobody ever says thank you? Um, it seems like that they're always asking you to do something and, and nobody ever doing anything for you? Hello? I'll tell you, we go to a conference in... Denver every February. We just got back from there. And those people are the most hospitable people. That's unbelievable. I mean, uh, we stay in somebody's home when we go, and they just, come on, and they just, you know, and they'll call and ask, now, do you have any special diet? No, we just eat anything that doesn't move too fast. <laughs> yeah, you know, what do you like to eat for breakfast? Uh, whatever's close, <laughs> you know. And, you know and, but, I mean, it's like, and, you know, what can we do? What can we do? It's amazing. It reminds me of Eddie Hammond. <laughs> that guy's the most hospitable person in the world. He really is. You know? We need to learn from Eddie and Eric. Eric caught that, you know? You, yeah, I'm telling you. Because I've been, I've been hunting and fishing with, with, with Eddie, and I've been fishing with Eric and Morgan, and I, the same old thing, man. They got coolers full of, you know, water or sodas or something, food and all kinds of stuff that, that Miss Sandy's been fixing and all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh, hospitality, where is that gone? You know, we need to do that again and, and feel good about doing it. So, well, here's a cooler. <sighs> Nobody ever thinks of it, so I had to bring it again. <laughs> well, okay, I'm really going to enjoy drinking that, <laughs> That's not the way you do it. You know, it's like, hey, man, here, you know, I got some stuff. In it. And I mean, excited to be able to do that. I know there's a, that's a gift. For some people, just have that natural gift. But, but he's telling us that's how we ought to be. We ought to be more hospitable in our life. And that's, can you imagine that that's one of the things we're to prepare for the end? Hospitality. That's amazing. That he would look at something like that to say that that's what he's looking for in his bride. 
Really? That's not spiritual. Oh, yes, it is. It's very spiritual. You know, he uses the same word here in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul writes and says, do everything without complaining or arguing. If you didn't catch that, he said, do everything <laughs> without complaining or arguing. We all know that person, right? They're going to gripe about it. I'm doing this, but I tell you, I can't, you know, hello. How many of you know someone like that? Yeah. Amen. All right. So it says, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. That you can become blameless and pure children of God. This is a mark of being a pure child of God is hospitality. Some of y'all got a long ways to go. I'm sorry. I'm doing, you know. <laughs> I mean, wow, who would ever thought that hospitality was that, was that big a deal to God? It's a big deal. He takes us in, doesn't he? Amen. He says, so that you can, be, can become blameless and pure children of God without faith in a crooked and depraved, uh, deprived ge generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life because it will be a shining testimony to those people who live in a dark, crooked, and perverse world. Boy, isn't that true? Can you imagine? When somebody is hospitable in the midst of a dark, deprived world, they do stand out and shine, right? And God says that's what he wants us to be like. Well, you know, people turn away from the gospel because they see how we act and how we gripe about what we have to do and what we, you know, all this stuff. No wonder people don't want to become a, a Christian because they hear us griping all the time. You know, they ought to be glad to see us come, not glad to see us go. <laughs> what we have to say ought to be encouraging. We shouldn't be griping about what we have the opportunity to do. Why are we here? We're here to serve. Serve the body of Christ. Boy, I'm sir, I'm, I'll serve the Lord, but I haven't seen him around lately. Well, look, <laughs> right here he is, you know. He's right here in each one of us. Hebrews 13, 1 says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have uh, entertained angels without knowing it. You better be hospitable, because it could be an angel that, that you've entertained and didn't even know about it. Wow. I tell you... We were in Galveston one time, and uh, we'd gone down there for something. We were there to minister. So I was going to run in and get some breakfast real quick. I was in a hurry because I had to go spread the love of Jesus. And I had to go in. So as I was going in, I saw this guy. He could, obviously, he was homeless. And he was sitting there, kind of sitting down with his back against the wall. And sitting there, and I thought, as I passed by, I thought, hmm, I wonder if he's going to eat. Uh, okay, i got to hurry up because i got to go spread the love of Jesus. And I'm in there, and I'm ordering, and I'm thinking, wow. Man, I mean, it's starting to get to me. Man. And, I'm, and you know, here it goes. I'm, I'm sorry. I know y'all weren't like this. but it's, And I'm thinking, all this stuff and what I got to do. And I'm thinking, you know, well, if I go start talking to him, you know, no telling how long he's going to talk. Really? So what? Maybe he needs to talk to somebody. So he got the best of me. So I, I didn't order. I went back outside to go and ask him if I could buy him some breakfast, and he was gone. And boy, 
do I still feel bad? And I mean, I said, Lord, I don't like this feeling. And I don't want that to happen again. I missed it. I missed it. Could have been an angel sitting there just to see, you know, what are you going to do? And yeah, I, I changed my mind and came back, but it was too late. I'm just telling you, people, the Lord will give us opportunities to be hospitable to others. You just never know. And it might not be a homeless person. It might be a CEO of a, of a company. And maybe their brokenness is their marriage or their family or their child or something. We just never know. But we can watch for those opportunities and allow the Lord to speak to us on this. I'm not finished, but I'm going to stop because I know that you can only endure as much as the clock permits. So I'm going to stop. Because it's not 12 yet, but I'm going to stop. But I want to pray. Because this is some important stuff, and we need to talk about it. Because I want to be like the Apostle Paul that says, when he told those, he says, I want to present you spotless, as a spotless bride before the Lord. I want to present you when we stand before the Lord. And he calls Light Christian Center to come up, and, and he says, okay, pastor, present your flock. I want to present you spotless, without spot or blemish. And say, here is the most hospitable, praying, loving people on the face of the earth, right here, like Christian Center. Wow. And the angels give this big roar of applause. Yeah! Thanks for feeding me that time! Or whatever. We need to talk about these things, the serious stuff. You know, we want to talk about all these things, you know, of the end times, but he says, hey, the end is near. So pray without straying, love without judging, Sustain without complaining. We've got some more we're going to talk about. He says, you do that and you'll be ready. So, you answer the question today. Are you ready? And we might say, oh, I'm ready because I'm wore out. I've been going through this. I'm ready. But are you ready, ready? Are you ready in your character? Let's pray. Father, help us to be clear-minded this morning before you. Holy Spirit, show us areas in each one of our lives where we need to be changed. Prompt us to be self-controlled, self-disciplined so that we can pray effectively. We can love unconditionally. We can serve others. We can help sustain others in their difficult times through hospitality. And Lord, the things that you're going to share with us continue, but help us to look over these things that we've heard today and see where in our lives do we need to make some changes. So this morning, let me ask you, with our heads bowed, don't, don't be looking around. doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. But what about you? There's something there that we talked about this morning that hits you. That's me. Boy, I got to work on some things. You know, I thought I loved people until I started looking at those Greek words to talk about love deeply. Is there anything in your life that you, that you need to say, Lord, help me in this area of my life so I can be more like you that when
when people look at me, they see your character in me. And help me be a supporting ligament in the body of Christ and in this church that I'm not tearing things down, but I'm supporting and I'm hold, helping hold together through prayer, through love, through my hospitality, through serving, through following you. God's saying he wants us to be a supporting ligament that holds the body together and fills itself up in love as each member does its part. So people, we can point the finger other places, but God says, you take a look at yourself today. I'm speaking to you. And I would challenge you today before him to just say, Father, here I am. I give myself to you, afresh and anew. Just do an overhaul. Just demolish these things, these old walls and these things that are there that's keeping me, holding me back from these areas that you want to change in my life. And just rebuild me. Rebuild me. So I can be sharp instrument in your hands to be effective for you. Father, I just sense in my spirit just as we're praying across this auditorium today that that's our desire. It really is. Lord, this, is, this pleases you because you want your people ready. The bride has made herself ready so we've got to do these things. Father, that express you in all these different characteristics. So Father, we want to open ourselves up and we want to hear you. And as you give us opportunities this week, we want to step into them. You open doors that no man can shut and you close doors that no man can open. So as you open the doors of opportunity, then we need to work. When you close the door, then we need to move on out of self-control, we need to move on. If you're just praying that to the Lord, nobody looking around, just hold your hand up to the Lord and say, Father, that's me. I'm yours. Prepare me. Prepare me. I know the end is near. I know it's drawing near. I don't have time to mess around. I need to be molded and made in your, your image. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, when you hear that the end is near and you're not sure about eternity, question marks come up in your mind and you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity. You don't need to go out of this place not sure. You can go with confidence knowing that you're a child of God and that He loves you unconditionally and He sent His Son to die for you to pay the price for your sin and so that you could live with Him and He could express His hospitality to you throughout all eternity. If you're not sure, if you're not sure that you're a child of God, you haven't received Christ, why don't you just raise your hand? If question marks come up in your mind when you think about eternity, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure that I'm a child of God. Anyone here? If you know somebody, why don't you just hold your hand up and say, I know someone that's, that's away from Christ. So let's just close out this service by praying for them. Will you stand with me? I want you to get a prayer target and these that you raise your hand that you know them that 
they need they need a walk with the Lord they need to be born again they need a, to renew their commitment to the Lord whatever it is let's pray for them this morning Father thank you that you've cleared our minds a little bit this morning and you told us you challenged us very first thing that we to be clear minded and self controlled so that we can pray and so Father and today we're praying and what we're praying for is these that are away from you uh, Father those that have never known you that they would come to a saving knowledge of you open the a door of opportunity that uh, they might have the opportunity to receive you whether it's by uh, this person that's, that's praying for them right now or whatever father but that they would have the opportunity to receive you father these that we know that are away from you that they've just walked and they're going their own way that they're your child but they're just doing their own thing father that uh just pray that you would just give opportunity for them to, to just turn around and, and begin to live their life for you. Father, we want to see that. So, Father, we just have them. We hold them up before you, and we're going to continue to pray for them, not just now, but throughout the week. Father, that, uh, that their lives will be changed in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I thank you for your blessing. Rest upon this people today. Father, as we go out from this place, Lord, we go to be light that dispels darkness. We go to be... Uh, your, your expression uh, to mankind to every place that we go. Father, we're going to go into all different parts of the world, from different businesses, different jobs, and different uh, uh, parts of the community, and see different people when we leave from here. And Father, help us now to be realize that we are laborers going into the harvest field, that you are commissioning us and sending us forth. So Father, let us hear you and watch for those opportunities to be a witness for you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hey, thanks for coming today. Shake somebody's hand and... Uh...